can be seated. And children, you can make your way to the back here where Martha Priest, Miss Martha, is ready to receive you for our Crosspoint kids. And for those who are staying in here, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And a special thank you to to all the men here, I know Anthony's already said it, but, but happy Father's Day. Um, I was reminded this week of just 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul, he, he gives thanks for the church, like as a spiritual father uh, to a son, is, he likens it to that of a physical father to their children, who it says, thank, thank you for both uh, physical and, and spiritual fathers who encourage and comfort their children, urging them to live their lives for the glory of God. That I'm just so thankful for the godly men represented here that so often I feel like our, our culture can make dads like, like just the, the baffling idiot, right? And, and, and we joke about it in, in sitcoms, but in reality, to see a, a strength and a gentleness within fathers who are loving and encouraging children, thank you for that godly example to uh, the present generation and, and future generations. So thank you so much. There's also, uh, as our way of saying thank you to everyone, there's donuts in the back. These are good donuts from Sip and Dip, which is like an institution in St. Cloud. I have mine waiting for me up here with white frosting and fruity pebbles. <clears throat> Just feed the inner child. So thank you for that. And also for men, I do want to encourage you, it's helpful when we are able to do life together. One way that we're going to be able to do that is by beating the ground together with sticks, also known as golf, this coming Saturday. I haven't played in six years, so if you're like, I don't know how to play, me neither. I'm just going to go swing at a little white ball and call it fun. So if you are willing to come do that together, that's going to be this Saturday. Uh, if you, to sign up, it's like $30. That's for our lunch. We're going to eat lunch together. That's for golf. Uh, you can sign up at the connection table. Would love to have you come and embarrass yourself with me so I'm not alone. So please come join. Uh, it'll be fun. We're kind of doing it so everybody, even if you're no good, uh, will have fun <laughs> at this event. So I hope that you can, can make it. So this morning, we are continuing in our series of a fight for joy. Like, what we desperately need is to have our hearts find our joy and satisfaction in God. We search for that in so many other ways, in empty ways, and yet the call, the invitation, the command is to abide in Christ, to, to draw from, from His living water. He is the fountain of living water. He is our only source of hope and joy. But in the desperation of our own hearts, what so often happens is, as it says in Jeremiah 2, we forsake the fountain of living waters and we lap from the dust of broken cisterns, empty cups. We, we look for our joy and satisfactions in things other than God himself. Last week, we looked at what it is to look for it in ourselves. Right by building ourselves up or putting ourselves down, but in the end, making ourselves the center. I will be the source of my own joy and satisfaction. In the call to turn from that and to look to Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at the emptiness of envy, a sin that, that's closely related 
to pride in that it seeks to make ourselves the sinner. But as one quote that, that you'll hear later says, envy is both fed by pride and it feeds pride. It keeps ourselves at the center, but it does so by comparing ourselves to other people and what it does to our hearts. And to be honest, I can't say that, that before this past week I've ever done like a deep study of envy. Like we can talk about anger, we can talk about lust, we can talk about these other things that, that I feel like we talk about, has been talked about, that has been thought on by myself, but envy isn't necessarily one. And, and then when I begin to see the, the sickness of envy, that it is like deep within us, the way scripture talks about it, it's convicting. I said to somebody this morning, like, whose idea was it to preach through all of this? Like, I live in like, God bringing these things to the surface of my own heart. And so I want to help us to understand what is envy? How do we identify the symptoms of envy? And then what's the cure? Like, what's the cure that, that we are called into? And so let me pray, and then we're going to jump in this morning. Lord, I, I thank you for this time this morning, Lord, together to worship, to lift our eyes above ourselves, above our circumstances, and to sing of your great name. Lord, help us to behold your beauty and glory. Help us to feel the weight of that in our hearts, to bring perspective to ourselves, to bring conviction where we are trusting in other things, and to turn, Lord, our hearts in satisfaction to you. Lord, would you do that work in our heart, particularly as we look at envy this morning, just where it has its teeth in our hearts, Lord. Would you expose that and would you lead us to drink from the living waters of who you are and of your word? Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's two scriptures that Proverbs talk about often, wisdom and in, in folly, envy being one of the, the follies that's discussed in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. It says, wrath is cruel. Anger, it's, it's overwhelming. But who can stand before envy? I think about this. Oh, we talk about wrath, we talk about anger, but yes, those are bad, but who can stand before envy? Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Do you feel that? The sickness, not just somehow from the outside, not just a little bit of jealousy, but it's, it's rotting our frame as, as if the sickness is a bone cancer within us, deteriorating, consuming us from the inside out. That envy has this crushing, destructive sin within us that is not just to be belittled, not just to be excused, not just to say we all do it, but to say this is a sin which calls rot from the inside out. Greek philosopher Socrates called sin the ulcer of the soul 
Basso of, of Caesarea, a fourth century early church father, said, no vice is more pernicious. It's a great word, isn't it? Pernicious. I had to look it up. It sounds intelligent if I just say it, but in all honesty, I had to look it up in the dictionary. It says this, a harmful effect in a subtle or gradual way. This is envy. It's harmful, but it's, it's gradual. It's slow. It's going to slowly consume you. No vice is more pernicious than, than envy is implanted in the souls of men. It's a disease which is gnawing at one's vitals in consuming them. J.I. Packer says of envy is one of the most cancerous and soul-destroying vices there is. It is terribly potent, for it feeds and it is fed by pride, the taproot of our fallen nature. There were some illustrations throughout literature that, that talked about envy that I didn't even feel comfortable reading from up front. It was so gruesome. And I realized in myself, like, the Bible calls envy sin, but do I see it as that bad? Do I see it as that destructive in my soul? Or do I just be like, it's envy? There's a weightiness, a sickness to envy that, that I had to be challenged on. Like, do I really see it as sickly, as destructive as the Bible says? Like, how do we begin to identify it? What is it? Like, there's times we can joke about it, right? Like the Brady Brunch, Jan and her sister, like, all day long, all I hear is Martha, 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 right? The, the, the witch in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? There's this great folk story within Jewish culture that, that talks about a shopkeeper, who has this rival. He's incredibly envious of this other shopkeeper down the street from him. And an angel comes to him and, and, and visits him. And before the angel leaves, the angel says to the shopkeeper, I'll give you whatever you ask, but just know this, whatever you ask for, your rival will get a double portion. And so the man, consumed with envy, couldn't ask for wealth because then his rival would be twice as wealthy. He couldn't ask for health or success because then he would have twice as much. So he says, I want to be blind in one eye. So his rival would be blind in both. That's the nature of envy. It consumes. We see it, I think, most clearly in 1 Samuel 16 through 20. When I would encourage you th this week to read through all four chapters of that, 1 Samuel 16 through 20, with, with King David, with, with King Saul and David. King Saul has disobeyed God, right? Like he has intentionally, willfully disobeyed God. David has been anointed to be the next king, but he is not yet on the throne. And, and David is an incredible, sorry, Saul is incredibly jealous. But, but he draws David in. He's, Saul is tormented in his soul, but he is soothed by David playing music. But then David kills Goliath, and the women in the street begin to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul cannot celebrate the victory of God. All he can see is that David is being credited with more than he is. 
don't they know he's the king? How can they say that he's killed his tens of thousands? And envy begins to consume him. Saul first, he's comparing himself against David. And, And ultimately it says that Saul was angry and he eyed David. This evil eye of envy that just couldn't stand that somebody else would be getting more credit than he was. And it ultimately led to Saul's destruction. This is envy. It's been defined by some as envy is the sorrow of another's good. Aristotle called envy a disturbing pain that is excited by the prosperity of others. Frederick uh, Buchner defines envy. I thought this one was funny. The consuming desire to have everybody else as unsuccessful as you are. I think in my own definition, I would say that it is a siphoning of joy from others. It is this reality that we've talked about, our hearts being like a garden. We need to receive from the fountain of living waters from Christ, but instead, what envy calls us to do is look to others to find our joy. Not that they give us joy, but rather... If we see that they have experienced joy and blessing, we want that for ourselves, not them. Why do they deserve that? I deserve that. We take pleasure when others fail so that we are just lifted up a little bit more. We want others' success and we rejoice in their failures. We siphon joy, a distorted view of what it means to be together. It can be easy to see this in others. It can be easy to see this in literature, but it can be hard sometimes to see this in our own hearts. How do we diagnose this in ourselves? Like, what are the symptoms? What does this mean? It feels like this. It morphs. It changes. Joe Rigney wrote this. As we try to evaluate our hearts, we need to be alert to the fact that envy is a chameleon. It masquerades as smooth flattery one minute, righteous indignation the next, fear in all one minute, and then malicious plotting and a public assault the next. That this is how envy plays. It can be hard to understand in our own hearts. And so I want to look at what are the symptoms? When this is at play within our bones, when this is rising, how do we know if envy's beginning to grip our hearts, how do we, we begin to identify if we're actually, we say we're abiding in Christ, but, but, but there's this envy lingering in our hearts? How would we identify that? How would we diagnose our hearts? I think one way is through comparison. We see King Saul doing this. Right? When the women are singing of King David, like Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. David, Saul hears this and he begins to compare himself against David, begins to compare himself with others. Francis Bacon says that envy is ever joined to the comparing of man's self. And where there is no comparison, there is no envy. Like, have you ever found yourself comparing yourself to someone else? You're, you're looking at something on Facebook. 
You see somebody else drive in in a particular car. You see somebody else experiencing a a particular blessing. And you begin to compare yourself against them. You you compare your education, your income, your spouse, your children, your job, your promotion. And you begin then to see yourself through the reflection of others and how God is at work in their life. And you only understand and consider yourself in relationship to that. Am I better or am I worse? Are they better or am I worse? And over and over again, we only can perceive our own joy in relationship to someone else's story. That if you find yourself Comparing yourself to others, comparing your spouse to others, comparing your house to others, comparing your car to others. Envy is gripping your heart. It's in your bones. It's there. And then it can lead to to criticizing and complaining. This was was King Saul, right? He saw what what David, he was being praised more than him, and he was angry, it says. He, He looked at him with this evil eye. He had his eye on David. I'm watching you. Why does he deserve that? What about me? This is the heart behind envy. The envious person reflects on their own fortunes and they complain. They look at the blessings God has given them, and they're like, it's not enough. I would be joyful if I had their blessings. Then I would be happy. We, we reflect on the good fortunes of others, and, and then we criticize. We're like, why do they get that? One quote said that, that in, envy is a motive that prompts people to slice up other people's reputations, to disparage their achievements, to minimize their virtues, to question their motives, to challenge their integrity, and failing other ways of bringing them down to kill them. Like we think, oh, that would never happen. It would never come to that. But how does it feel when somebody else gets a promotion at work who's been there not as long as you have? Right? Like, how how does that happen when when somebody does better on a test in school, but they didn't study as hard as you did? They have it so easy. How could they they get away with that? Why, why, Why do they have it so easy? That little bit of joy that that we feel, like, why is it so often that that tabloids line the grocery store? right? We love to have famous people that that we lift up on a pedestal, and we love to see them fall. Why is that? Why is it that that, that, that sense in us of, oh, they're wealthy, but it's another life destroyed. It's another marriage that has fallen apart. It's all that they have all this money, but they don't have it better. Like, we get this sense of self-righteousness, of our own pride, of we're better than them, even if they have all that. That's the lingering aspects of envy in our life that wants to compare ourselves with others. Who has more? Who has less? Where am I at? And it leads to a spiritual blindness and an ingratitude in our hearts. 
that hinders us from being able to see what God has given us. It blinds us to our own gifts. That when we are in the clutches of envy, we fail to see all the undeserved gifts that God has given us. Like, are, are you healthy? Did you walk in here in your own strength? Did you arrive here in a car? Did, did you wake up in, in a bed with a roof over your head? Were you able to take a, a hot shower and, and brush your teeth? Like, is there gratitude in that? Or you're like, look at how I've been blessed because most of us can say yes to most of those, if not all of them. And yet, what happens in our heart? But I don't have that car. My house isn't that big. And it just, the envy begins to consume us. It rots in our bones. And it blinds our eyes from seeing all the gifts God has given us. Because all we can see is what somebody else has. And our joy then is not dependent upon God, but on how we compare ourselves to others. Imagine with me a child walks into a room, and the room is filled with toys, floor to ceiling toys everywhere. And they're told, you, you can pick one of these toys and, and play with them in the center of the room. And so the child walks in and, and they grab this, this red fire truck. And they're sitting on the floor and they're happily playing with this fire truck. Okay? Now enter child number two. In the same room filled with toys, what toy does child number two have to have? You know where I'm going with this, right? Like he sees the joy and contentment of child one. Look at how much joy this fire truck is giving to child number one. I have to have it. That's the only toy that's going to make me happy. Give me the fire truck. Right? It's like ingrained in the child. Now imagine child number one was starting to grow tired of the fire truck. There's all these other toys and he was just about to put it away to get something else. When child number two came in and had to have the fire truck, what toy does child number one have to keep? The fire truck. It's like, oh, you want it? Oh, that's going to make you happy? It's mine. I have it. It's my truck. You can't have it. Right? We see it in children, but what happens then is we grow up and we don't see it in ourselves. We, we become adults, and we come to church, and then we walk out to the parking lot that's full of cars, and we're kind of sad that we have to get in our car when they have that car. I'd be happy if I had that car. The same thing is at play in adults. Like, these kids, they grow up and they become pastors, Right? And they're like, look at all that God has given me. But then pastors can see, well, look how God's working in that church down the road. How God's blessing them and moving there. I wish I had a church like that. Why, why are people going there? And envy begins to take root. The, the, the same thing happens 
at times when you're single? Like, how do you respond as a young adult? And then your friends have that boyfriend or girlfriend. And then they're engaged. Their wedding's coming up. They announce the birth of a new child. And, and you think, why am I passed over once again? Why do they have that significant other? Why not me? And we can't really be happy for them because all we can see is our own loss. That's envy continuing to grip our hearts. The same thing happens to parents, right? Like we have children, but what happens when someone else's child excels a little bit more in school, performs a little bit better in a sport, they begin to talk earlier and they're like, oh, they know their ABCs or they can walk or they're already sitting up. And then, then it's kind of like the stink eye that we can give to other moms or dads. And it's the comparison that happens. It's envy that's beginning to grow in our hearts. It happens in every aspect of our life. In work, when someone else gets the promotion, someone else gets the acknowledgement. Don't they see how hard I'm working? They don't even work that hard. Why do they get that? That should be me. Why do they get this break? I've been waiting for this longer. In all of these ways, it's envy, that rotting in the bones, that is consuming us from the inside. It robs our joy. We look to it for joy, and it robs our joy. It destroys us from the inside out. So what do we do? Like, how do we combat How do we even understand how this sickness is working in our heart? And how do we combat it? First Peter chapter two, verses one through three, says this: "Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put it away. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so we see that there's this command, put away envy and drink deep from pure spiritual milk. Again, I want us to imagine that our heart is like a garden. There's a desperation and a thirst for living water. Without living water, it's going to dry up. And then there's, there's two glasses of clear liquid in front of you. One is living water that will bring nourishment and life. The other is a hydrochloric acid, a caustic acid that will burn the flesh in your mouth. And in desperation, you grab For one of the glasses, you take a huge swig and feel the burn in your mouth, knowing that you have chosen poorly. What would you do in that moment? You would spit it out as quick as you could. You would rinse your mouth out as thoroughly as you could. It's the only logical thing to do. This is what I believe it is saying when it says, put away 
all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put it away. There's this gospel paradox when it comes to understanding how we fight sin. What has happened? Colossians 3, and if you look at these passages that are together, it says first in Colossians 3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with God. Think about this. What does it mean? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Our sinful nature When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, sin has been defeated in us because Christ is victorious. It is dead. For you have died, past tense, a proclamation, an indicative. You have died. The sinful nature in you, envy, has been killed. It has been rendered defeated, powerless. So, in response, therefore, put it to death. Do you see what I mean? What do you mean, put to death what is earthly in you? What does it mean to put to death something that has already been defeated? That's why it can feel like two statements that are they contradicting one another, and yet they are actually working in harmony. So we see that envy has been defeated in us, and yet we are called to put it away. We are are called to put to death what therefore has already been defeated. So here's, I'm like, how do you explain this? (laughs) This is hard to understand. So imagine That hydrochloric acid is not just in a glass that we took a sip from. Imagine it's inside of us. It's the marrow inside of our bones, consuming us from the inside out. It it is the poison of sin in every cell of our being. We are completely and fully entangled and consumed and enslaved to it. Impossible to be freed from it. Upon salvation, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that poison is rendered powerless. It is defeated. It is dead but it lingers. Though it has no power, it lingers. And and have you ever started to to salivate at the, the smell of good food? The saliva forms in your mouth. I think that put away is that call to spit it out. That, that in my mind, what it's saying is, is there's times when you're gonna feel envy rising within you. But it has already been defeated by Christ. It is rendered powerless. And so this to put away is to spit it out. I think one way that this looks is, Curse and I were talking about it, because I'm like, there's a weightiness of truth and a hard way of describing this. And so she shared with me, and she gave me permission to share this, like one way that she had to spit this out, if you will, was 
she would look at good housekeeping and simple living were two magazines that she no longer reads. Because while it was intended for her to kind of give creativity, right, of things to, to, to do around the house, ideas, what it became was it stirred within her more envy and ingratitude for what God had given. Our house doesn't look like that. It's not that. Look what they have. So rather than giving life and ideas and creativity, it began to rise within her and expose the lingering effects of envy. And so part of that putting away was to recognize that and to say, this is causing me to salivate. It's exposing, pulling out of me this lingering envy that has been defeated by Christ. My victory is in him. So I'm putting it away. It's the question then, what in your life causes comparison, the complaining, the criticism? Like, for some, is it social media? Like, the the list can go on. Like, social media is always the easy one, isn't it? I just feel like that gets blamed for everything. But it can be. You, you look at pictures online. Look at their vacation. The, the best aspects of like, wow, their children are so good. Look at their success. Look at everything that's going right in their life. I wish my life was like that. But it can happen in a hundred other ways. How is envy being exposed in your life? And what are you doing with it? Because sometimes I think we swish it around in our mouth like it's a fine wine, wanting to taste every hint and note of its flavor. When the command is to put it away, to spit it out. But that's not all. If not, we're just like constantly going around, but like our hearts are still thirsty. There's still the longing. There's still the desperation. And this is where I think that passage in 1 Peter continues. So put away, in my mind, spit out all the malice, all the deceit, hypocrisy. Spit out the envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. It isn't simply saying stop being envious. The call in Scripture is to be called to a better Something that is more satisfying. Not just what isn't, but what is greater. Like newborn infants. Here's the thing. This is not talking about for new believers. This isn't saying when when you're an infant in Christ, when you're a newborn. This is saying all Christians are like newborn infants. Newborn infants who have a rooting reflex. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, Have you ever held a, a newborn child? And then they get hungry and they look to you and you're like, uh-uh. Like, here's mama, right? Or, 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 or they say like, for the first four months, you, you can just rub the side of their mouth and they'll turn towards that with their mouth open. That's the, the reflex in a child. This is saying you as a Christian, be like a newborn infant who just as a reflex says, God, I'm looking to you as my source. You are the source of living water. I need to drink deep from the pure spiritual milk that can only be found in God. It's not just what we spit out. That is the repentant side of it. But we are called to a better affection, a a more satisfying joy, a life-giving waters that can only be found in Christ, in Christ Himself. 
This is the heart. In the spiritual milk, this word spiritual in Greek is a logikos, which is an echo of the word, like what's known as like the word for the Bible of logos. That it's this sense of, it is the word of God. The pure spiritual milk is God's revelation of himself in his word. It is who God, who God is. His revelation, drink deep from the truth. What does this mean? Like how then do we combat envy in our life? Like if there's comparison, if we're going to spit out comparing ourselves to others, what then are we called to drink in? And I think what we're called to drink in, in the truth, is the completeness of who we are in Christ. We spit out the poison of comparison, and we drink in the living waters of who we are in Christ. Galatians 6 verse 4 says, don't compare yourself with others. Just look at your own work to see if what you have done is anything to be proud of. You must each accept the responsibilities that are yours. Don't compare yourself to others. And in Colossians 2, it says, You and so you also are complete, complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. Here's how that dismantles comparison. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are in Christ. You are complete in Christ. Nothing lacking. Who is Christ? Like if you just take the time to read Colossians 2, think of these are some of the statements then that you will hear. You are complete in Jesus, and Jesus is the fullness of God. He is completely, fully God, and you are complete in Him. In Jesus, your body of sin has been put to death. Sin has been defeated in you because of Jesus. Envy, slander, it's all been defeated, rendered powerless because of Christ. This is what's true in Christ. You were buried with Him in baptism. In Jesus, you were raised to to a new life through faith in the powerful working of God. You have a new power in a new life at work within you because of Jesus, who is the fullness of God, and you are absolutely complete in Him. This is His powerful work. You're forgiven. Your debt has been paid. You are completely free and empowered to live the life God is calling you to live. So why in the world are you going to look at somebody else when this is who you are in Christ? See, it's not enough to say stop comparing yourself to others. Yes, we need to spit that out. But it needs to be replaced with a better affection of who we are in Christ. To long for, like newborn infants, the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. This is how we dismantle that that critical spirit in us, that complaining spirit within us. It's by looking to the kindness of God. It's not just to say, stop it, do better. 
But Ephesians 4.32, it calls us, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Okay, that's wonderful. How? How do I be loving to one another? How do I be tenderhearted and forgiving when I feel like I'm competing with them in the how as God in Christ forgave you? See, as you actually start to to meditate on the reality of, of who we are in Christ, that I've been forgiven, of who I am, that is the way it allows me to be tenderhearted and forgiving towards others. If I'm only looking at you and telling myself to stop doing what I'm doing, nothing changes. But when we look to God and we say, because of His loving kindness, because of His steadfast love, when I am drinking deep of the pure spiritual milk from Christ as the fountain of living waters, am I drinking deep of that truth? It changes our hearts from an ingratitude to a thankfulness. That when we drink from God's grace, our heart is filled with thankfulness towards God. It's the natural progression. We can spit out the ingratitude, our our spiritual blindness to the blessings that God has given to us as we remember His faithfulness. Psalm 91.1 I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, with the completeness that He has given me, with everything that I am, I'll give thanks and I'll recount all of your wonderful deeds, what we already have in Christ. So we don't look at our lack, we don't look at ourselves compared to others, but ingratitude is dismantled as we look at what God has given, who He is. Our hearts begin to change, and not only for ourselves, but for others. John Chrysostom said this, let us be thankful, not for our own blessings alone, but also for the blessings of others. In this, we will be able to both destroy our envy and to rivet our charity and make it more genuine, since it will not even be possible for you to go on envying those on behalf of whom you have given thanks to the Lord. Here's what that's saying. It's easy to be thankful for ourselves. Well, I remember, so we talked about this as a community group uh, some time ago of like to give thanks for how God's blessed us. Thanksgiving, how has God blessed us this year? Remembering God's faithfulness to us. But do we give time to remember God's faithfulness to others? To give thanks to God for the blessings they've received? even when it's more than what we have. But to say, Lord, thank you. I know they've prayed for this. I know that they've desired this. Thank you for your goodness to them. Because it's impossible to be envious of that person when you've already given thanks to God as the one who bestowed that gift on them. When we remember God's faithfulness, it dismantles that envious ingratitude in our hearts. We're called in Galatians 5 to live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That as we are abiding in Christ, 
longing for, for His pure spiritual milk. The affections of our heart will find their satisfaction in Christ, in Christ alone. And we will see that envy, like so many other vices, are empty, broken cisterns that promise joy, but are a poison that rot our souls. So I would encourage you this week in application, what do we do with all this? How would you diagnose the garden of your own heart this morning? What symptoms of envy do you see at play in your own life? Like as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the Lord's table, as we confess our sins, as we rejoice in, in, in the sufficiency of Christ's life, death, and resur- uh, resurrection, what symptoms of envy do you find yourself comparing yourself with others? How? In what way? Do you find yourself complaining about what your life looks like compared to others? Criticizing others in order to make yourself feel a little bit better? Do you find yourself ungrateful of what God has given you and where you're at presently in life? These are symptoms of envy. To be confessed before God because He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The confession by calling it sin is how we spit that out. We recognize it in ourselves when we say Christ has defeated it. I'm calling it for what it is. And we repent and we confess it. And then what does it look like to drink from the fountain of living waters? What does it look like then to abide? That our hope is not in our own actions. It's not in our own faithfulness. Our hope is in Christ and looking to him because he is victorious. How then will you go about reminding yourself this week that because he was victorious, you can walk in victory. Because he has called you his own, you are complete and do not need to compare yourself with others. Because he declares us forgiven in Christ, we don't need to compete with one another. That because of his faithfulness, we can rest content with grateful hearts. Because Christ and Christ alone is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, for your word. Lord, for your grace and your undeserved mercy. Lord, that even in my own heart of seeing where envy can, can linger, Lord, shows itself and then quickly hides can be excused, can be ignored. And yet, Lord, your word says that it's a rotting in our bones. Lord, I thank you that you have defeated sin in our life through Christ. 
I pray that you would help us to understand then what it means to, to then put to death what is still earthly in us. To spit out when sin is revealed that we would not coddle or excuse it or allow it to linger, Lord, but that we would put it away, that we would spit it out. Lord, help us to, to long to not be satisfied in things that are false, but to find our joy and satisfaction in you. Lord, help us to be like newborn infants that have that reflex, that longing to drink the pure spiritual milk of your word, to find our joy and our life in you and you alone. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.